0: We good? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa Welcome everybody to Nothing But Facts, episode number uh, 68, where we're going to cover Dua Al-Haja. And we're going to discuss that and we're also going to cover a lot of other things. So we'll just give it a minute for everybody to log on and see what's going on here. All right. A lot of things to discuss today. All right, Farida Khan, wa alaikum as salam Okay, we got a lot of things to discuss uh, today, so we'll just give it a second. Viva the Strangers is on. Aisha Mukhtar, Muzammil Fatan. Ryan, please add timestamps. He always adds them. He has them, but sometimes he didn't always uh, put it into the blurb, but he always hes a timestamping machine. Okay. Who else we got here? Sir Fraz Mansoor. Ansuri. Abu Buckets. Aziz Aziz. Abu Buckets. I like that name, Abu Buckets. What kind of buckets? Like he's a basketball player? I think he's... he's that's Is that the reference? All right. We're ready to go. First announcement is that uh, if you're from Connecticut, then... Uh, I'm going to be headed to Connecticut, where a state where I lived for a number of years, but the the Stanford folks, they always viewed themselves as a little bit different, they never interacted with the rest of the Connecticut folks. So Friday, June 24th, it's going to be at Stanford inshallah, at the Masjid there, and as you could see on the um, uh, the flyer that's on the screen, right? they got the flyer on the screen, right? Yeah flyer on the screen here you'll see that you can now uh we can we can uh meet up i've never been to this masjid but there's a brother named raj who's um invited me there so i'll be there for Jummah. and then there's a halakha after that uh i think they, they said it's a women's halakha right Ryan? says that and then there's a general public halakha and a dinner so it's going to be really nice so uh that's going to be June, Friday, June 24th, if you're in the Connecticut area. And we'll announce this again at the end of the stream, because different people will be on. So that's the first announcement. Second announcement regards our uh, sponsors, Mecca Books. Now, me and Mecca Books, we are very, very, we were really sad yesterday. And I even heard that some veteran hedge leaders in these companies were crying. They were literally weeping and crying, okay, because of what happened. And what happened was that there was a rumor that was not even a rumor. It was basically, um, it was a fact that the Saudis wanted to get involved directly with the Hajj uh, pilgrims, with the people who were attending Hajj. They wanted to have a direct way that you can go to Hajj directly through them, not through a middleman, okay? So we knew that was coming. Everyone knew that was coming. But we also, I think, a lot of people also thought that the companies would also be having their ability to have their uh, to do the things their way too. You mean, that, in other words, go through a company for the simple reason that that's what people want. People like to go with an imam that they know and they trust. Now, of course, some people want to go by themselves, but. I think a lot of people, if you ask them, would you like to go with a group of like-minded friends and, 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 and a sheikh that you respect, right, and that you want to listen to and you want to be in a hotel room with people that you know at least? So most people would have said yes. Plus, like these companies have been running hedge groups for like 25, 30 years. Nobody, I don't think anyone expected that they would actually completely undercut all the companies. But this is the second piece of news that we have for today is that the hajj companies are cut out of hajj completely, right? And I had a phone call yesterday that there was one of these veterans literally at his kitchen table crying because it's not just his business. It's what he loves, right? And it's his relationships. And shiuch, they go uh, they, they go uh, uh, on these hajj trips, imams, like most of the local imams, they can't afford to go on a regular hajj trip. But if he's, he knows how to teach, he knows how to guide, so he goes like every three, four, five years. Right, that's done with now. Okay, so there are no more hajj companies. Uh, the Saudi will only give hajj or give hajj visas directly to individuals. Now, this is a very neg- there's a negative to this, namely that. People don't know how to make Hajj. You're going to get there. A complete stranger from the ministry of Hajj is going to be your guide. And your people that you make Hajj with are complete strangers. This never used to be, unless you wanted it to be. Groups in the past come from Syria, come from Egypt. You go with your sheikh and your group, right? You Maybe you have a madhab, right? Maybe you have an approach to things. Now you're gonna be stuck with some complete stranger leading you, your hajj. Who wants that? Now you're gonna be rooming and being in a tent in Minna with complete strangers, right? And don't think say, oh well Hajj is supposed to be for Ibad only. No, you're actually sharing a lot of intimate space with these people. You're on buses with them all all the time. You're on you're on what happens if you're like you just you don't wanna be with those types. You wanna be with people like yourselves, right? that's why it was a really sad day. In my opinion, it was one of those like things that I didn't really get over it very quickly and I don't want to get over it. you know, one of those things that's like the appropriate response is just to sulk in it and be upset about it. And I'm pretty upset about it, that there are no more of these hedge groups. And so, and also, first of all, for your own benefit, are you going to roll out a brand new software? which by the way is all outsourced from a Hindu company not like Muslims are running it all Hindus in the emirates so you're going to put out this new platform which has never been used before right away for hajj and on top of that 3 weeks and on top of that you just canceled the trips of everyone who's been signed up and waiting for for sometimes years because they were like waitlisted during covid then waitlisted the next year then finally they get in this year and everyone's looking forward and you start your new program by breaking the hearts of all these other people who just now they're going to get refunded and stay home because by, because number one they you can't just switch over to go to hedge on their portal which i'm going to tell you what the portal is because uh so that you could try to make Hajj. it's by lottery so it's not even first come first serve how is that fair it's by complete lottery. So you sign up. There's no information. There's no, like, pricing. They don't know what you're going to get. You just plug in a whole bunch of information. They will send you if you got it or not. Who's going to do this three weeks out? So, <coughs> so, and this applies, by the way, only to the English-speaking countries. America, England, Canada, Australia. rest of the world, they on normal uh, hedge in their own way. Their, through the Hajj mission of their nations. So just tell me, if you want to profit and you want to defeat the Hajj companies and you want to take the money out of their hands and keep it all for yourself, cut out the middleman, why would you do this three weeks in advance? How does this make any sense? Like no one is signing up to this three weeks in advance except for a handful of people. The other smart thing to do would be, all right, let's use this software for a random Umrah in Jumada al-Ula, right? That would be the smart thing to do. Incentivize, hey, you go sign up for this. Use this website from now on, like for this period of time. Use this website. Then you could see if there are glitches, if there are challenges. There's something called a soft opening for everything. There's a beta version. Okay? And then you and then you inform the hedge companies. Listen, I know this is not good news for you, but we're phasing you all out we want it all for ourselves give the guy a year or two to adjust his his business right because it is permitted to 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 make money off of the process of hajj allah says in the quran so that they can have manafi why because going to hajj costs money so it's reasonable that the people who are going to go to Hajj will need to do some tijara at Hajj to pay for their way back. That was in the old days. So in the old days, let's say you're coming from Morocco. That's pretty far, right? It's not like Egypt or Syria where it's not that bad. You go to Morocco, you go there, it might take you a couple months to get there because you're going to have a lot of stops on the way. You get there, you finally get to Hajj, you might need to stay there a little bit, do some trade, right? Trade your nice, beautiful goods from Morocco. Sell it to the people in Hajj who are coming from all different countries that are interested in your goods. That's going to pay your w- your way back and put some more money in your pocket, right? It's com- Hajj services is not free. Giving people rides, giving people a place to stay, feeding people. So it's completely valid form of of, of business, of tajara. Now you're taking it from them. If you had a right intention, wouldn't you be considered to these people, right? Not on the very Hajj that they planned, Okay, they already planned it. It's not like you're telling them three years out. By the way, you're out in three years, so that means you got one, two hajjis left. That's it. That would be fine because then be at least we can prepare ourselves. We'll just we'll recalibrate our entire lives, right, as a company, and we'll just start focusing on umrah. We'll just start focusing on little trips to Andalusia or something like that. Not a, not you're not gonna have a line out the door when people say you say a trip trip to Turkey. Why would I pay for a trip to Turkey? I can go to Turkey myself. Why would I pay for a company to go to Andalusia, right? It's whatever, okay. So these types of people, uh, uh, it shows their intention to me that you started this off by literally breaking the hearts and breaking the banks of a whole bunch of people, right with no concern and you had no problem giving millions of dollars to this hindu company hindu run company out of the emirates Uh, travel easy not their fault right but it doesn't make sense as a muslim to use the hajj let's pay hindus for the services and let's because we want to cut out muslims it's just not the way that stuff should be the way things should be done but who are we kidding when we're talking about a group of people that their track record is not exactly that great, right? And alhamdulillah that, you know, if if you were an Arab and you said this on TV, they ban you from hajj completely. Now, there are some other ridiculous rules. A woman can't go with a mahram, we know that, because there's no groups anymore. Now, a a woman could go, technically, to hajj without a mahram, because it's a fard upon her, but the Saudis, they don't allow this. So, it used to be you go with a group. Now, you're going with a group from your masjid, you're going to a group from, uh, for, of, 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 of pious people that you know, and they serve as your group, your, ma- your, your, your guardians, in that, in that, if there's any issues. Now, you have to go with a guardian within your family. What happens if a woman doesn't have family? The group was her family. You don't think there are many converts that don't have this? right? A ton of converts have no family, no mahram to go with. What happens if the mahram is an old man? Now on top of this, there are two more rules to your mahram. Rule number one, he's got to be under the age of 65. No one over 65 is going to hajj. What if the guy is saving up and he could only make hajj when he was 66? What if he just learned, just made toba? So you're cutting him out of hajj. Ridiculous. Rule number two, your mahram cannot have made hajj for five years. So no one can you can you can only go every five years to hedge according to this rule. That's the rule. Do they basically not want people to go because you actually made it a lot harder? In any event, it's just um, that's. Let me give you the website just in case you guys want to make hedge and you want to try this out. Do it, make hedge. I mean, I mean, if you this is the only way you could do it. Okay, Ryan, write this down for us. M O T A W I F Mutowif. And um, you know it bothers me, irks me, when they transliterate things wrong. M O T A W I F should be M U, but it's uh, all right. Dot C O M. Dot S A. And the, that that's that's the website. You want to go make hutch? Go make hutch. So let me put it for the uh, for the people on Insta, because that thing only puts the comment on Facebook and. Motelwoof.com.sa If you want to make hatch, there it is. Mutowif.com.sa. Let's take a look at what their website even looks like because we can't tell the prices from it. It's not like they're just giving you a package and then like some kind of... Um, where they give you like, okay, basic, intermediate... <clears throat> okay. Mutawif is the exclusive online platform authorized by the Saudi Ministry of Hajj and Umrah to offer Hajj services to Muslims in all of Europe, the United States of America, and Australia. Oh, wait a second. Where's Canada? Maybe Canada's not even worth mentioning. But, I mean, if Canada's out of this, then groups are allowed to go to Canada? Well, they probably just forgot it. Okay. All right. Owns the platform and has offered services to the pilgrims for more than forty years. Applicants, register your interest. This looks like a sock, uh, 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 you know, like a uh, youth soccer league application. First name, last name, email, phone number, and a captcha, okay, captcha, whatever. Country of origin. Okay. Your hedge is only five steps away. Muteov is the online official portal. To plan and initiate your Hajj journey in five simple steps. Fill in your application. Submit your documents. Oh, they're going to give you a headache on the documents. Draw selection. After submission, a draw will be carried out electronically to select candidates to perform Hajj. So you're just going to get an email, I guess. And if it goes to spam, you're out. Make the payment. How much does it cost? How am I signing up for something? I don't know its cost. Once you have been selected, you will be contacted to choose your package. Does this make any sense to you? That what if I have no clue what it costs? Then I get selected and I say, hey, well, I'm priced out of this. I can't charge. I pay, can't pay any of this. Uh, and, then we, and then someone's spot is taken. So you make the payment and you select the package after you have inquired of your interest or put in the, your interest. Then you get an e-visa from Hajj. Uh, for for uh, from the Hajj ministry. Okay, man. Such an upsetting thing. Tech partner Travizi. Let's go to their website of see who what who who is the the partner, uh, Travizi. Let's see the names of these people. It's not their fault, but it's it's, it's our people who who, are, who who are essentially dumb who are have no loyalty like to the Ummah, like keep, keep the money within the Ummah. All right, the founders and the people uh, behind Trevizi. Let's see who they are. Where, where are their names? Uh, Trevizi Group is the group that runs this thing. All right, the team. Geet Bahala. Rajat Panwar. Akash Gurathi. Arti Ghatkari. Abdul Khan. Well, good. One Muslim. Abhai Kumar Gupta. Okay. A couple Muslims. Not bad. All right. It's mixed. But the ownership is mainly, it's one Emirati and the rest are Hindus. So it's mixed it's just something that's uh so that's the news people if you want to make hajj get ready go to mutawuf.com.sa and good luck with your life after that okay so that's mecca books who is the owner of iya tourism i'm gonna to shut it down now you know i was just gonna do umras right it's gonna be umras and then maybe what else trip to jerusalem who knows all right next subject is Professors121.com. If you're uh in SAT season and you need to study for the SATs, you will learn a ton. Okay, you'll learn a ton by Professors121.com. Next is arcview.org. Okay, you want to take our classes? You got arcview.org. Ruḥ Muhassar. Yes, your man Ryan is here at the control desk. And then lastly, your support at patreon.com backslash Safina Society. Patreon.com backslash Safina Society. All right. Now let us turn to the next topic of the day. And I'm sorry for the, uh, uh, you know what, Rai? If you could actually do this, the dua as the whole screen, or put it in the middle or something like that, where the Instagrammers can, um, yeah, there we go can see the whole thing so that the, the IGers can see the whole thing alright alright what do we have here dua al haja many, many people have asked how do we do dua al haja look at your screen and within a second it's going to be on the screen uh, dua al haja dua al haja is extremely extremely important why is that simple reason that a dua is There is nothing more important than dua. There is nothing more beneficial to your heart than to supplicate to your Lord. In the same way that food is easy, uh, is the most important thing for your body. Water is is, mo- dua is the most important thing for your body, okay? for, for your soul. Okay, And today we're going to look at how to do dua al haja, and you do it as follows. You pray two rakas, you make wudu, and you pray two rakas. All in your mind is the need that you have okay, for for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the, 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 the matter that you are A, you are seeking or fearing. Because every dua is either a desire or a fear. And then you're going to recite this dua. La ilaha illallahu al halimul kareem. Subhanallah, he rabbil arsh azim. Alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. It hasn't come up on YouTube yet. There's a delay, I guess. As aluka mujibati وعزائم مغفرتك والغنيمة من كل بر والسلامة من كل إثم لا تدع لي ذنبا إلا غفرته ولا همما إلا فرجته ولا حاجة هي لك رضا إلا قضيتها يا أرحم الراحمين. Okay, there it is on YouTube. Let me read you now the translation for this. Okay, there is no god but Allah, the Clement, the Wise. There is no God but Allah, the High and the Mighty. Glory be to Allah, Lord of the tremendous throne. All praise to Allah, Lord of the worlds. I ask you, everything that leads to your mercy and your tremendous forgiveness, enrich, enrichment in all good and freedom from all sins. Do not leave a sin of mine except that you forgive it, nor any concern except that you create for it an opening nor any need in which there is your good pleasure except that you fulfill it o most merciful of the merciful let me read it again la ilaha illallah al-halim al-karim subhanallah rabb al-arsh al-azim alhamdulillah rabb al-alamin as'aluka rahmatik wa azaim maghfiratik min kull bir which is the success of all good deeds was salama min kull ith لا ذنبا إلا ولا Illa إلا ولا حاجة هي لك رضا إلا قضيتها يا You make this dua in Arabic and you could then read it again in English, but you must say the Arabic. And from after, right after that, you make your prayer and your dua uh, of of what you are looking for and what you need. That's how you do du'a al haja Any questions on du'a al hajjah before we move on? Someone asked if we could do it in English. You can do it in English after you say it in Arabic first. You got to say it in Arabic, but you can do it in English afterwards. All right, folks. So, uh, another question, go ahead. So, with these du'as similar to istikhara too, if we do it in the Salah too, would that even count as, as doing the the Sunnah prayer? Um, uh, a person could say this Dua at the end of Salah. It, it's not going to be exactly the same as if they did it in Dua al Haja as a separate Wudu, separate Salah. But it is still a Dua, it will be accepted Dua. Can you share it as a post? Yes, inshallah, I'll share it as a post. How often should I do it? You continue to do it. Non-stop you do this. Du'a. Non-stop. We don't ever stop making a du'a until I get my answer from my Lord. And I'm certain I'm going to get the answer. So that's it. Okay? All right. Now let's... We've completed the du'a al haja And now let's now move on to our reading of from our continuation from the Shema of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and then we're going to do a little bit of Q&A we're going to do a little bit of Q&A alright so again you make wudu you pray two rakas, you recite that du'a which you could just rewind and see it and then you make the du'a that you're looking for on the condition that you are certain that you're going to get your answer absolute certainty that you're going to get your answer what is the best time of day to do it? Last third of the night, but really at any time. Okay? And you, you can do it every single day until your need is fulfilled. There's no limits to how much you can do it. Okay. We now look at the uh, Prophet wasallam. he used to wear kuhl. The Messenger of Allah wasallam used to apply kuhl on his eyesight, and he said it's called ithmid. And he used to say that it strengthens the eyesight, and it increases the growth of the eyelashes. Why would the Prophet care about growth of the eyelashes? Because it's beautiful. It also protects your eyes from dust and things. So eyelashes both have form and function. Now, there's an interesting comment on this. And he would, apl- he would apply this on his eyes each time, each eye, according to this narration, three times. Now, when you're applying it, there's a little bit of the pink area on your eyes. That's where you apply the kuhl. Now, here's the thing. We do have some comments on this. Although this is a sunnah 110%, but it is also has become a symbol of Qamlut. Like, what guy wears eye, eye, eyeliner these days? right? In the United States, what guy, what kind of guy wears eyeliner? So the only time that I would find that it's completely fine and okay to wear eyeliner is in the situation where you're wearing other Islamic clothes that people don't know that you're not Qumlutz and that they know that you're a Muslim, this must be part of your dress. You understand this difference? It's a very important difference. Which is very the concept that something was of the Sunnah, it is of the Sunnah, But it's now, the Muslims didn't use it. And now, a group of Fasiqeen use it. We call that Shi'ar Fisq, a symbol of Fisq now. So the Sunnah has become Shi'ar Fisq. Okay? Because it's a whole different country. It's not like it it transformed amongst the Muslims, right? So you have to wear it. If you're going to wear it, you're going to wear it in a way that does not make you seem like Shi'ar Fisq. So you don't wear a T-shirt... You got a buzz, you got like a fade, a t-shirt, and then this is the sunnah that you want to keep up, right? That doesn't make any sense. People are going to think you're Qomlut. Okay. So uh, it's very important to avoid Shi'ar Fisq. Wearing anything that is Shi'ar Fisq can be between Makruh and Haram. Okay. So if you're wearing Kuhl with something else that is a garment of clearly making you not Qomlut, Qawmullah's um, going to have a big beard and, and, and a kufi maybe for example and a, and a thawb? I don't think so. So at that point it shouldn't be a problem. So that's the use of kuhl on the eyes. And the hadith in Arabic says that ikrima narrates from Ibn Abbas. عكرمة, when ikrima from Ibn Abbas means it's at Tabi'i, not Ikrimah Ibn Abi Jahl the sahabi son of Abu Jahl. No, not him. The other Ikrimah أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صلى الله عليه وسلم قَالَ bil بِالْإِثْمِدِ He said, wear Ithmid. Put kohl on with Ithmid. فَإِنَّهُ الْبَصَرِ It improves your sight when you And it grows your eyelids. وَزَعَمَ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صلى الله عليه وسلم كانت له مُكْحَلَةٌ He had a, a kuhl uh, container. Three in both eyes. And also from it, عَنْ ابْنِ عَبَّاسِ صَلَّى Before he slept he would put it in. So before he slept. That means it's the night time. Obviously Wudu would have washed it out, right? If you make Wudu many times, okay, then it's gonna wash it out so the Prophet put it on when he slept too so that's another thing to consider about the Sunnah is that you're putting it on I would assume that if you make wudu you wash it off it's gonna it's gonna smear down your face am I right Ryan? do you have experience with this? No, no. I know that well, like when women cry like you can see the kuhal coming down I'm assuming that when you wash your face for wudu some of the kuhal is gonna come down I, never, I don't know, because, you know yeah it would sweat out right? Like if or if in, you sweat, yeah. If or if back. you're working hard, yeah. Right, it would the sweat would come out. So, في كل عين, three in each eye. عليكم بالإثم عند النوم, it is upon you to put kohl on when you sleep. So you see what the sunnah is when you sleep. Okay. فَإِنَّهُ <inaudible> الْبَصَرَ when you sleep. The best of your kuhl is Ithmid. So now let's look at the commentary. Ithmid is a special type of kuhl which has a redness to the black, producing like a maroon, like a brownish maroon. It's obtainable in eastern countries. Some of the learned say it is from Isfahan, Persia. And others say it is from Tutia. Some ulama say this means for those who have good eyesight to be used with those whose eyesight agree with it. So this is a general statement of the Prophet. Not for every single Muslim. It's for the one whose eye agrees with it. Alright? Otherwise, a sick person could be hurt by it, be harmed by it. So here's another important thing. Because more than learning about kuhl, you're learning about how to mu'amala with hadith and mu'amala with like as we mentioned shi'ar fisk, the concept of the the uh, the uh, symbols of a fasaq but notice the Prophet says, said then no when you sleep not walking around with it in the daytime but secondly when there is a general commandment there is always the exception of if it harms you then you don't use it right so that's what the ulama are saying here is that if you know that you're sick then don't use it okay so why did the Prophet say before sleeping? So it remains in the eye longer. And it penetrates deeper into the pores. Okay? And also there's not like, you're not away, uh, uh, opening your eyes so that it would like evaporate away or dust would come into it. There are different numbers mentioned in different hadiths. Sometimes three in each eye, another three times in the right eye, two times in the left eye. It is believed that there are variations due to different times that the Prophet did it and different narrations. People saw him doing it different and differently, mainly Ibn Abbas, since Ibn Abbas used to sleep over. Ibn Abbas used to sleep over the Prophet's house because the Prophet had married maymuna which was his maternal aunt, his khala, or maternal aunt, the, the sister of his mom. Maternal aunt in our Sharia is like a mom. Like the when when you look at mothers and fathers, there's a list, which actually goes to show that It takes a lot of people to raise somebody up. This way that we live now, only mom and dad raise you. And like mom and dad raising you against the world, it's not healthy, it's not the norm. It's too stressful. In the olden days, the whole family raised everybody. Okay? Of course, the main responsibility is upon the biological parents. Okay? (laughs) Hafiz Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, he quote, Mullah Ali al-Qari and other ulama, they preferred the first method. Three and three at night before you sleep. So that's the sunnah. It's put on three and three before you sleep. It's also narrated from Sayyidina Ibn Abbas that the Prophet, he had a small container like this and he would always do it before sleeping. Okay, And that he said it's good to use for the growth of your eyelashes and for your eyesight. And of course he mentions here, unless you have a medical condition. Right? Next chapter is on Bab Libas. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, let's talk about this. When when we talk about the sunnah, there are three levels of the sunnah. Or I should say, four levels of prophetic commandments. There is one prophetic commandment that is an obligation. How do we know it? How do we know the command that's an obligation? Another that is a sunnah. Another that is a sunnah khafifah. And another that is nothing at all. Number one. Okay, not a commandment. The fourth one is not a commandment. It's his actions. Number one, whenever the Prophet Sallallahu makes a commandment and then links it to punishment, that do this or else X, Y, Z punishment in Akhirah, then we know it's an obligation. For example, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam commanded for zakat al-fitr. And why do we know it's a, it's, it's a it's a... It's an obligation. Zakat al-Fitr is not in the Quran. It's in the hadith only. It came from the sunnah, from the Prophet But it's an obligation because he said, your your psalm will not be accepted. Which is a punishment, right? So whenever the prophetic command is linked to a punishment, we know it's obligation. If there is a prophetic command and no, punish, no, no punishment is mentioned, يُحْتَمَلْ عَلَى النَّدْبِ or yuhmal, sorry, I should say, it's considered a recommendation. Okay? This is one of the evidence that a Shafi'i, when he counted all the hadiths of the beard, there are 10 hadiths on the beard, the Shafi'i considered it sunnah. There is no punishment mentioned for someone who leaves off the beard. All right? So they consider it sunnah. The other method considered it fard because of how many times the Prophet said it, and the of the, that all the Sahaba had beards. Right? All right? Which is maybe not the strongest evidence because some people say, Well, all the Arabs had beard as a as Arf. And some ulama have made that comment. Okay? But there's a retort to that. That can't be the case. What's the proof of that? If all the Arabs had beards, then why would the Prophet keep repeating it? So it clearly was that there were some times that people didn't have beards. Okay, they shaved it completely. So when the Prophet gives a command, but there is no link of a punishment mentioned to it, then it's considered, right? You feed and nadb. It, it, we understand that it's recommended. Now, when the Prophet wasallam makes a recommendation of something and points to a worldly benefit, then it's considered sunnah khafifa Because he's basically telling you, this is a matter that's good for your life. It has nothing to do with deen but it's good for your life. Okay. So in that respect we do still consider it sunnah because anything the prophet gave us is deen but it's a matter of deen that is something of our of this world as opposed to akhirah. In other words the prophet did not say whoever puts kuhul has thawab of akhirah. There's no thawab of mention to the akhirah. There's only reward benefit of the world. It's as if he's giving you medical advice. And then the fourth layer of the sunnah is that which the prophet did but never commanded and we consider that from his adat his habits the prophet's habits and the prophet's habits sallallahu alayhi wa the ulama have said about it whoever imitates them out of love of the prophet then ihsan. Uh, إلا so that I know that the prophet sallallahu alayhi dressed in a certain way but never commanded that the we Muslims wear this garment I know it's not religious law, but I want to wear it so that I could be like the Prophet, peace be upon him. Then we, the person, that person is told, il إِلَّ You will not take a step towards the love of the Prophet except the Prophet will also love you in return. So yes, they're, they're, the angels will not write Hasanat on your book. Fine, we accept that because there's no nothing said that that's Hasanat. But you will have it; will be written. This person took an action in the attempt to love the Prophet or reflecting his love of the Messenger peace be upon him and for that reason inshallah the Prophet will love him back so that's your four levels of matters within the Sunnah. Ryan everything good with that or anything should be clarified no that's good Umm (laughs) Salama said كان أحب الثياب إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the most beloved Garment of the Prophet, peace be upon him, was the khamis. Now, what does the qamis look like? The khamis is a shirt that it's like buttoned up, and it goes all the way down, hovering around the knee. And the people who wear the same type of shirt that the Prophet wear, wore at that time, it's basically the subcontinental shirt. The Bengalis wear it, the Desiyin wear it, and the Arabs don't no longer wear it. Okay. The Arabs wear the shirt that is all the way down to the ankles, which is the thobe. But the qamis when they say the word qamis it means a shirt that had no buttons on the sleeve. It was open at the sleeve, no buttons, loose, and it was it had one button at the top, and it would go all the way down and hovering around the knees. Okay, what's wajib to wear in the in Islam is any clothes that is layashif means it is not transparent and it is not form-fitting. Tight clothes is forbidden because you're not considered covered if it's on what is aura. So for example, the ankles tight from the calves for a man, it's acceptable. Right? Tight around the calves, like that. But anything tight around like the private parts and the aura and these things. Then, to the degree that it's tight like that, it's forbidden. You're not considered covered, all right? Yoga pants, for example, and then like a shirt on top of that. No. By the way, we're getting sins now that men wear yoga pants. That's the kafara of sins. If you see a woman wearing yoga pants, now you see a man wearing yoga pants. It's kafara for that sin, previous sin. All right. So now, what else did the prophet wear? Prophet wasallam used to wear the sarong or the futa or the lungi. Which is the bottom part would simply be a wrap. That It's almost like a piece of cloth that's sewn together. You get into it you, and then you, you wrap it up. okay, And you fold it up. It's called an izar in Arabic. The, the, the Arabs today call it futa. And the Indonesians call it sarong and the subcontinent calls it lungi. That's another, that's the garment that the Prophet ﷺ used to wear at the bottom. So today, the people whose everyday dress, everyone in the whole society, is closest to what the Prophet used to wear, are the people of Bangladesh. Because the, 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 in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, they wear the qamis, but they wear the sirwal, which is a pant essentially, the baggy pant, that Persian baggy pant, okay, Persia pants, those are, that's what they wear, which also the, has a precedent, and of course, there's nothing sinful about any of this, what's the only thing sinful is the tight pants, Shahir Ijaz is saying, what about my chest and my bicep, he, he, need, he did all that work in the gym, and he's wondering now, well, what's the value of this work if no one's going to see this? How am I going to get married? Right? So he's basically asking about that. And we would say that no, for the man, that is not going to be sinful for him, but it may be lacking muru'ah. And it may depend on when he wears that. If he's wearing that out with some people, okay, um, that are playing some sports, that's very different than going to Jummah like that it would be considered perhaps uh, what they call it's not what the people consider to be upright and noble dress. okay, Or modest dress. And then what do you what, 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 what's bothered bother with the other guys? All the skinny guys now. You're showing them up? Hmm. So Shahiri Jazz, if he's in the building, let me know so I can go somewhere else. Because this guy, he wants to come in with his biceps and his chest. okay, want to show the whole world. You're not the only one who lifts. We lift too, right? But, uh, but that's the issue with those. It's yeah, it's the judgment call. There's not going to be sinful for them, either way. But around the aura, then that's an issue. And these tight jeans now, you can't even. I one time had an embarrassing situation. I had a job. I used to go teach in in New York City. I'm driving to New York City, and I have my nice big cup of coffee. And lo and behold, I spill it all on my pants. So I have to stop right, and this is like literally right before class. There's not, not enough time to dry. Muru'a, so, murua is, is modesty and gentlemanliness, basically. So I go to, I stop by, I drive around the masjid in lower Manhattan. There's not a lot of clothes stores in lower Manhattan. So I, I find a joint. I park the car. I run inside. I have a long jacket on. It's winter. I have a long jacket. I button my jacket up because it's wet everywhere. I run inside. I find my size. I pull a pair of jeans off the rack. I pay for them because I'm late. I, I got the jeans. I go into the bathroom. I go back so nobody can see me, and I go into the men's room, and I change. Lo and behold, these jeans, there's like 50% elastic. In the jean. Put them on. Paint it on. <laughs> there is absolutely no way I'm wearing these, right? So, I, what I had to do was actually wear those pants and keep my jacket. You know when you wear that long jacket, no one buttons it up. Especially indoors, no. i am buttoned it up the whole class. And they're like looking at it. Then I took my scarf and put it on top of my... It's painted on, Right? So that's default now of jeans. You have to look skinny, whatever, slim fit, regular. It's hard to find regular clothes. They're basically taking the fashion of kolm loot and trying to make us all wear it. That's essentially what it is. Okay. Essentially it's it's the it's the fashion of kolmut that they want us all wearing that. Okay. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's he used to wear his shirt. His sleeve onto the wrist, which is the wrist. So the prophet, they, they didn't have at that time short sleeves. They never had short sleeves. They would have it to the sleeve, and you make you wanted oxygen to go in back in the old days. Okay, so they didn't wear short sleeves. Not that it's, it's necessarily wrong to wear that, but that's what they wore. Okay, and one time someone got him a Roman garment. The Prophet, peace be upon him, never. In fact, said no to a garment. It would be type of kibber, right? Someone got him a Roman garment. So he it had a button. This was not normal for that. How did they have buttons? They had cloth. And then they would... What would the button be made out of? Wood, maybe? I don't know. What, would the, what do you think the button would be made of in the olden days? Maybe if it's like fancy. Yep. Pearl, if it was fancy, probably. A jewel. But yeah. maybe just wood? piece of wood, maybe? I don't know what the button would be made out of. Well, what was the button... People have been wearing buttons way before plastic was invented. So, right, could you look that up? Buttons before plastic was invented. Sometimes a button would be just a th- very thick piece of cloth, right? Wrapped up. So with like a, a hard, hardened piece of cloth wrapped up. Bronze. Oh, bronze, he says. Okay. That's one thing. So metals... Yeah, probably metals. Maybe maybe, you know, things like that. So, and the Prophet, that shirt, he would pull his sleeve, his arm in from his sleeve, go under his shirt, and make wudu like that, because the, the sleeve was too tight. Here's something about the Prophet is that he wore what the people wore. He did not have a special garment that everyone said, Okay, that's the Prophet. Well, where's the Prophet? Well, look at that garment. Sometimes he did have some garment that people didn't have because it was a gift and he never had a garment for long anytime that someone came he would give him something from his garment of course the sahaba wanted that because they wanted for the barakah of the prophet one time a man came and he saw the prophet wearing a a shirt and the the man said oh messenger of allah that's a beautiful shirt so the sahaba said why would you say this and now the prophet got up went home Changed his shirt, came back, gave him the shirt. He said, "You now you've made the prophet. You've hassled him. Now he has to get up, go and change, and bring it back." So the Sahaba blamed him for hassling the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And then he explained. He said, "I'm leaving. I'm leaving here, and this may be the last time I meet the Prophet. I want to be buried in his shirt. Okay. So he wanted to be buried uh, in the shirt of the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam." So they wanted it for Tabar. But it's also a common sunnah of people, of ulama. They give out gifts of their own stuff like right off the bat. So someone says, oh, that's a beautiful uh, a ring you're wearing. Takes it off and gives it to him right away. Right? And it was considered like an intimate friendship like where like I have something from him. And that's a good habit between friends. Right? right off his scarf, give it to him. right? Sometimes, I'm telling you, when you're with if you're with the alim who knows the shama'il don't ever praise anything he's wearing he'll give it, take it right off and give it to you okay uh, i'm talking about the real ulama they, they will do that i one time said man your 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 shawl matches the, another person's thobe the sheikh took it right off i was like oh why did i speak right sheikh said wallahi you're not go i'm not taking it back he swore and he gave it to that other brother so they're like that because they know that's the sunnah okay The Prophet ﷺ sometimes would wear the clothes of the very poor. What was the clothes of the very poor? Merely a sheet. So that so poor they didn't even have the ability to sew sleeves into the shirt. So it was a sheet that they would just wrap around. Almost like, okay, Uh, almost like uh, Abdul Hadi saying, Oh, nice hat and scarf. I'm not one of those (laughs) nice scholars. I'm not one of those good scholars. I'm a regular common Muslim. So I'm keeping my stuff. Uh, it was a sheet that would just wrap it around. That was the clothes of the poor. And the Yemenis were very famous for striping everything. They had stripes. So when they say Yemeni, it's all stripes. Okay. So, uh, that was one of the garments of the Prophet. In our time, we have to keep the spirit, there is a spirit to this, that the Prophet could not always be differentiated. There's also the spirit that every Nabi wore loose clothing. So we have to keep up both. This, this, the, the, the sunnah of anbiya, all of the anbiya wore loose flowing garments. They all did. So that is also from the good things that we should keep up. Loose flowing garments. Which is all of the ethnic clothes of Muslim countries suits that sunnah. Okay, It's like a, a symbol. Yet at the same time, if you're in a society that doesn't wear that clothes but wears a regular halal clothes, that often ta- to keep up the sunnah that you look like everybody else too. It does something good for your nafs. Whereas when you're always standing out, it reminds me so much of, a, of one of the salaf. He was doing something good for so long, but he didn't realize it was becoming a, like a brand for him. He never missed Salat in the first row. Ever. He said for 20 years in the qurtuba mosque. I never missed a lot in the first row. And so one day I was late for Aisha in the first row and they started without me. And I prayed and I had to pray in the back rows. He said, I was so embarrassed. I didn't even want to pray. Like I want—I didn't want to be seen. Like better to be not praying at all. than. Then he realized all that time it was a riya. I was showing off. It was increasing me in arrogance that this good deed is like, this is my thing now, Okay. And, any, and that's one of the things that clothes could do to somebody. So that's why every once in a while, why don't you just appear like everybody else? And the, the, the scholars sometimes do say that if somebody becomes the symbol of religion, then that person, it is recommended for him to wear the Islamic clothes or the, whatever the sunnah of ulama to wear all the time. So that's why, for example, the scholars of Sham and, and Yemen and stuff, all, oftentimes you will never see them outside of their close of scholarship, right? There's a reason for that. But for regular people like us, sometimes this and sometimes that. There's, that's the wisdom of, uh, of establishing both sunnas. When you're in an environment of temptation, it's better to have the garment that will keep you away from temptation. So if you're a college kid on campus... If you're dressed like with a thobe or a kufi, the women won't chase after you. Not that you're like flattering yourself or anything, but if it's possible that you would fall into fitna. One guy I knew, he was a very handsome guy, and he would always go to the gym. He said, but he had a heavy, heavy, heavy Indian accent. Like the kind you, even the Indians would laugh at. So heavy. But you would never tell because on the outside he was just looked like a regular... You knew he was ethnic, but he wasn't dark or or looked Indian or you didn't know what he was. He could pass for Italian maybe even, right? So he looked like almost like that Kashmiri look almost. And then he would say women at the gym... He's like a magnet. If he's at a treadmill, all of a sudden all the treadmills around him will be surrounded by women. He goes to drink, all of a sudden all the women go to drink. He says until I open my mouth. Then they flee, right? Like, like a rat came out, right? Because his accent was so heavy and they're not attracted to that, right? They would flee from him. So he said, my accent has saved me from fitna. So likewise, if you're in a situation like you're in college and you're exposed to that, where women do uh, come to, to, towards you and, and instigate things, then it would make sense to wear your Islamic clothes, have a little bit of a scruffy beard, they'll keep them away. All right. Now we're going to have all the guys doing that, right? Um, say, oh, I need to keep the women away. Be careful from flattering yourself. Some of you don't need it, by the way. You're fine as you are. Yeah. But look, what it doesn't it show tell you something when the Sahaba were talking about how the Prophet dresses everything? they knew everything about the messenger sallallahu Allah. Wasallam. alright folks let's pause here in terms of our shama'an uh, and let's open it up for Q&A let's see what we have from Instagram Okay. saying mashallah and giving sadaqah to expel to, to remove another. Yes, and not showing off so much too. Nadar is hasad, basically. Okay? Hasad. It's not just, yes, you say, mashallah, you recite Surah Al-Falaq, you give sadaqah, but also, that's for something that you can't avoid. Also, you don't show off as much. Okay? Let's say you're a mom, she has wonderful babies. And some women, they can't produce babies. right? They just can't get pregnant. Or they have a baby that is not as endowed as yours. So you don't go and dress her up and, and, and take her to where it's gonna ignite the envy of other women. That's that's not wise. Okay? I gotta say there's a ruling on that, but it's not wise. You have to think of are am I igniting the envy of other people? Right? So some people they should not they shouldn't فَأمَّ فَأمَّ uh, as for the benefits of the blessings of your Lord, make it shown, it's not, for all, it's not all the time. Sometimes you sh- shouldn't do that. If it's going to ignite the envy of people, then you shouldn't do that. And that's one of the reasons probably why the Prophet wasallam did not aggrandize himself. He's already Nabi. He's already Rasul. Now if he aggrandizes himself, if, he aggrand- if his kids, Sayyidina Ali has every- all the best of clothes. Sayyidina Fatima has all the best of clothes. And the best of lives, and then he puts them in positions of power. It would bring so much envy. So, to crush that envy, okay, was one of his sunan. That, Sayyida Fatima, you will not get, you're not getting a servant. So, she had to work herself. No servant for Sayyida Fatima. Everyone else got servants and slaves and, and, and prisoners of war, right? Not for Sayyidina Fatima. Sayyidina Ali, a lot of money coming in from conquest he doesn't get any they lived simple life no envy there all the prophet's household very simple no envy so you want to make sure you're always killing the envy of people before we uh, get into the q a let's go back over some announcements if any is anyone here from connecticut if you're in connecticut i'm going to be in stamford connecticut which is the south of connecticut Allah ta'ala so come to, so you can come to that event. There's going to be a, 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 a khutbah, women's halakha, and then a general halakha, and then a dinner. That's going to be on Friday, June 24th. Are you going with family? Am I going with family? Oh, yeah. No. Good. We can all go up together. Yeah, We'll all go up together. Right. Who's the imam over there? Who's the imam? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you. I, I, I they, he mentioned his name and I watched one of his videos but uh, I, I don't know his name actually okay next um, support this operation at patreon.com backslash Safina Society that's how you're going to support our operation here patreon.com backslash Safina Society and that's where you're going to support us and be part of this yourself. right? This is going to go, it's going to go. With supporters, without supporters, Allah Ta'ala will make it happen. But if you, we're doing you a favor so that you could be part of it. okay? So you could be part of this. Go to patreon.com backslash Safina Society. JJ says, what's your opinion about big beards and English clothes? It used to be very odd. But now it's actually very popular. First of all, if you look at all the old presidents of the United States, they all had big beards. Go look at Karl Marx. Got a bigger beard than all the he's put together, right? Now it's popular again. this You ever heard of Julian Edelman? Oh, it was uh, <coughs> the Red Sox that one year, the baseball team. The Red Sox that one year? Yeah. They all look like... That was my favorite year. 2004, right? I think it was 11 or something. 2011. Or or yeah. Uh, 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 a lot of people now in pop culture, they have these huge beards. I don't think it's a problem at all. Right? No problem at all. Next question here. Uh, Khadija. For the dua mentioned earlier, is the dua said within the prayer after the salam? After the salam. Karam, tour. Is it allowed to wear cologne that has alcohol in it differed upon between the methodss? What are the, for, some conditions considered it nudges some considered it not nudges. What are the conditions for a man to divorce his wife? It, she should not be on height. Okay? she should not be on height. you cannot divorce your wife on hide. If you do, it counts as one divorce. you have to take her back, rescind it and divorce her again so it will be two divorces. That's the condition. Where can I get the Shema'id whose author and if it is in English? Meccabooks.com. Is, go to Shema'id, get get the Shema'id from meccabooks.com. Okay? Meccabooks.com. How to stop associating a certain person with a certain sin you know they have committed. It's, well, if they've made Toba, then you would know that, or maybe they announce that they made toba or something of that nature, then you should, we should respect their toba. But if it's hard to shake the memory of that, then the more we interact with the person, their new actions will displace their old memories. So if I met somebody way back in, let's say, the uh, 2010, and I was interacting with this person from 2010 to 2015, and all I remember is he would do certain sins, then I, I lost touch with him. All right? So... From 2015 onwards, my mind is that he's, he's this terrible person. He does this terrible thing, let's say. But it, that's because I don't interact with him anymore. Now if he comes back on the scene, and he's totally different, the new memories will displace the old memories. And know, Allah knows best. Ryan Hilliard, JazakAllah <inaudible> khair, may Allah accept from you. Someone is saying that, how do I get off of uh, pornography? And I tell you that one of the best ways is to create, one of the best ways to change any behavior, pornography or not pornography, is to create for yourself in your mind a a simple question. Ask yourself a simple question. What reward that Allah would give you in this life before the next? Next life is very hard to imagine. This life. If Allah said, okay, listen, angel comes and says, this piece of paper, It's a blank check. Write down what is it that you would want so badly it would be worth conquering your desires. The the reward would be worth lowering your gaze. Write that, think about that. It should make you feel so excited and happy that it would be a hundred times worthwhile lowering my gaze. I will lower my gaze if I can have this. And mostly, it will be related to the sin that you're committing. If a man is doing riba, what does he love? He loves money. He loves business. If a man is drinking, why do people drink? I think that people drink mainly because they have problems. Anxiety. So peace of mind is what he wants, right? If a man is doing zina, he loves women. If a woman is doing zina, she loves men. So on and so forth. So it's usually going to be something related to that. But you put that down on a piece of paper and you really start to believe. Allah, I'm going to make a trade with Allah. And use that as your motivation to now stop looking at what you're looking at. But if you simply say, it's haram, you're going to go to hell. It, that may not always work for everybody. Sometimes a positive motivation is better than a negative motivation. What's the ruling on a man divorces his wife because she's sick? It may not be nice, but it's halal for him. But it's just not nice. He's not going to get sins from that. That means a man marries a woman. They're living five, six years together. Then she says, I have a sickness. I can never have kids. Or I can't walk anymore. Oh, it's not the life he signed up for, right? Oh, I'm blind. I can't see anymore. Now, it's not nice for him. To say, okay, well, um, I can't do this. But it's understandable, number one. And it may be something that is from the uh, least beloved of Allah's, of the halal thing to Allah, is that type of divorce. It would not be something that he committed some kind of terrible major sin. It's just, it's not pleasant. I totally understand that. But we can't say that he's committed some sin because without the sickness, he's allowed to, to divorce her. Right? And she's allowed to seek a too. If a man goes and gets, he's got terminal cancer at the age of 23. Let's say the doctor's, yes, you got, it's only a couple more years you're going to live. And the woman is like, well, I'm in like the prime of my life here. I, I need to have a regular husband and a regular life. And she divorces him. Our sharia does not hold that divorce means hatred. Divorce does not mean oppression it's, it's, it's an at-will agreement if you don't want to be part of it you don't have to be part of it so this is not to say okay just go and divorce everyone you want but uh, there is not something that is haram for, unlike Catholicism what if the people are your friends and you're still in doubt about hasad I mean your friends are giving you hasad your kids keep getting sick hmm Maybe if your friends are giving you hasad, you find it time to find a better friend group. Maybe because you moved on in life, you got richer, you got better in life than they are, so they're very upset at that. And so it's time to move on in life f- into a different group. That's what it seems like to me. What do you think, Ryan? And, and and isn't it something that happens all the time? Someone moves on in life and others don't. Right? So they may start, like, I mean, think about, like, if it happened to us, right? If, if we're, we got our, our own friend group, all of a sudden a guy becomes, let's say, hey, I'm the minister of the king of Brunei. Like, you're not in our friend group anymore. Like, you're living differently now. Oh, I get picked up in a special aircraft. The sushi's waiting for me, right? A masseuse is, 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 is rubbing my shoulders on my way to work every day. Uh, to the work for the sultan of brunei i'm gonna say yeah, that's really nice but we're not friends anymore like we, we cannot relate to that lifestyle normal stuff for you is not normal for us anymore so you guys you go and do that and we'll go and uh we'll stay here with all the regular people is the imam bosnian where i'm going in connecticut no he's not he's pakistani but i know who you're talking about yeah i just can't remember his name off the top. I remember his face, but I can't remember his name. Maham says you should believe in the power and the words of Allah. Yes. Were there any prophets who only married one wife? Says strangest. Uh, yes, there have been. Uh, if 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 my memory serves correct, or I'm certain that one of them is Adam, right? Say, Adam married one wife. If I'm not mistaken, Noah married one wife. Lut married one wife. Yusuf Salam had one wife. If I'm not mistaken, they had one wife. All of them. If I'm not mistaken. Miss Haraman. Mishara. Misha Rahman. I got it. Misha Rahman. Where can I learn the differences in rulings as a young female who recently became an orphan? Inna lillahi inna rajah. very sorry to hear this, but I'm telling you that you can learn the rulings basically that uh, for, for all these basic things from our sister Hala Amr. She can teach you. She's really good at this stuff. Really good. Hala Amr. And you could do this by if you just want to ask questions, fine. Hala.amr at um, Otherwise, you sign up for ArcView Basic and you take her classes. And she teaches the preteen level into the teenage level. And she teaches puberty classes. Everything. Okay. Pasha International tells us the Red Sox, they kept growing their crazy beards just to be the opposite of the Yankees. So you see, we're not so different when the Prophet Isaiah says, oh, the Christians do this, so you do that. The Jews do that, you do this. We're going to do this because the Persians do that. Everyone wants to be different from their adversaries and their rivals. So the Red Sox... They want to have these crazy wild beer, beards because the Yankees have a clean-shaven policy, and the Yankees, and they shouldn't hate each other anymore because the Red Sox have really put themselves on the map in the last decade and a half. From 2004, that epic, epic 2004. That was just, like, insane. Anyway, if you're interested in baseball, you know what I'm talking about. Abby says, I'm scared of trimming beard. I feel... Oh, Abby's a man. Okay. I feel like if I cut too short, I don't want it to look scuffy. Advise me on what I should do. The sunnah of the beard is that it's a thing of beauty. And there's two beauties, in my opinion, of the beard. Like the beard in itself is a thing of beauty. But also, from another perspective, sometimes the scruffiness of the beard is a, is a spiritual beauty. And it depends. Some scruffy beard, to me, it looks dirty. And other scruffy beard, it's beauty. It's a zuhaad. Anbiya. They had big beards. The MBA, I'm not sure if Mbiat had the trimmed beards, right? The Prophets. Uh, Maybe the Prophet Muhammad because he used to put oil in his beard so it looked clean. But when you think of Prophet Nuh, Prophet Musa, these Prophets that fought wars and battles, right? And they were Zuhad. Of course, all the Prophets are Zuhad, but Sayyidina Sulaiman is not like Sayyidina Nuh. Okay? And the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, he did oil his beard so it looked kempt. It looked clean. It was thick and clean. So there is a type of beard where the beauty is in the beard itself and there's another beauty of the beard of the spirituality of the beard the zuhud like he's a zahid he's like completely out of the world like you cannot imagine Abu Dharr al-Ghifari he's like a complete zahid you can't imagine him with like a nice perfectly kept beard but, you, but we know Ibn Abbas did and Ibn Umar you, he's the one who initiated the qabda and many sahaba took from the sides so and Abdurrahman bin Auf and Uthman bin Afan, you know that they had a nice, kept-up beard. So there is the zuhud look, which I love, and then there is the regular, clean beard, which I love. But that which should, is is looks like you just you have hairs all scrappy. uh I don't think there will be issue for you if you clean that up. Shouldn't be issue for that. Not I'm not saying I don't think I know for sure that there is no issue in that. In all the madhabs, I've even seen the Jordanian have a Hanafi book. Uh, sorry, uh, Jordanian Hanafi have a book on the beard, showing that how the Salaf trimmed up and cleaned their beard. There's absolutely no haraj in that. Okay, and and, and that's an opinion. It's shihadi it's opinion. Do you you have other opinions? Don't touch it at all. I have full respect for that opinion too. shockwave the x-man says do you know of any scholars that are well versed in political science Imam Zaid Shakir Abu Bakr Sheikh does the Ash'adi view that those who have not heard of Islam are forgiven does this include oppressors yes includes everybody does lying in business make the income haram it makes that transaction haram yes it does make that transaction haram so if I lie to make one sale that sale is forbidden for me to have Nabila says, you mentioned that if you've been making du'a for something for a long time and the process you increase, uh, uh, and the process makes you increase your good deeds and get rid of your sins, usually that is a good sign. Yes, it is a good sign. 100%. What does it mean when challenges start showing up towards the end? Does that mean you're close to the du'a being accepted? Allahu A'lam. We have no knowledge about the time. Of when Allah Ta'ala will answer somebody. All we know is what we're commanded to do, which is to be optimistic. So much so that the ulama said, Man ulhima du'a qad faqad ulhima al whoever is inspired to make a dua for something, if you are inspired to make a dua for something, you're always making it different ways, different deeds to get it accepted. That means that Allah has prepared for you the Ijaba. If we don't know if a person has made Tawbah and they continue doing the sin, if they are sinning publicly, if a person is sinning publicly, you may speak about that to warn other peoples of this person. He's, he's not ashamed of it. So he's no longer got the privilege of us hiding it for him. Someone sells liquor. right? He's got a liquor store. There's a group of Lebanese in Ohio now they're all going to get upset if they hear about this. They like sponsor at Islamic schools and they have nightclubs and strip clubs and bars. What? All this money is haram. And you can say it because he's not ashamed of it. So if he's not ashamed of it then the sitr is no longer due to him. Sitr is the covering. Okay. Abby is in NYC so why don't, why don't you ever come down? Yeah, Abby is a guy, by the way. Okay. Maybe it's short for Abu Bakr. Okay. Reed says if somebody has been sleeping through Fajr on a regular basis, what kind of sins could be contributing to that? Many types of sins, but we should talk more about the solution to that, which is do ibadah during the day, make wudu before you sleep, and sleep early. Sleep early. I think like overeating too, right? Overeating is a great one. Overeating is a great problem. If you want for health and for fajr, don't eat late at night. That's why popcorn sales are through the roof, because that's what people eat. It's, it's light. Um, question is, Maliki method and Qunut. Yes, Qunut is a fadila. In Salat al-Fajr, second Raka silently before ruku'ah. And that's it. What if, what if you're leading the prayer in a masjid and people are going to be confused? You leave it off? And... You leave it off. Yeah. Rivdi one says, Can the, their hazards still reach you after you moved on? Oh, I, missed, I must have missed the front part of the question. Whose hazard? The hosed, Hased of somebody in the past? And by the way, no, it's it's not necessarily always sin. Sometimes you could just oversleep fajr. It's not necessarily always that it's a sin. Can hasad reach a person? I have heard, wallahu ta'ala alam, that hasad is always in person. Hasad is not something that is uh, from far away. It's in person, wallahu alam. Karamtur, praying with clothing that has letterings and words. Fine, even if it has an animal face on it it's fine and if it has a full animal body it's just makruh but the salah is valid okay Uzma says can you make dua I have a rash may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove that rash from you you should do ruqya for yourself and recite some Quran for that and and as some of the salaf did recite upon water and rub that water on if that is okay okay abby says so that got him tired but not all the time it's the case that sometimes it could be allah protecting you i remember there's a period okay i, I missed this is a conversation apparently okay misha rahman i'm subscribed to arcview and i'll check out her classes excellent yeah her classes. is just type in hala amr as teacher and you'll learn so much from her and you can email her directly she's very thorough at getting back to everybody Things having LGBT colors, can we buy them? No. No. Everything's LGBT these days. Everything. Toys, LGBT, because they're trying to get your kids, because they don't have kids. So who are they going to preach to? They're going to preach to your kids, right? So no. I wouldn't buy any of those for my kids. Sheikh from, I think uh, Kuwait, made a video and said, okay, don't buy our kids these toys. Everyone made fun of him. I totally support the Sheikh in that. Sheikh Hamis, I think his name is. Why are they making fun of the guy? They're, oh, this is what he's talking about, and this. No, I don't. I think that's a huge deal. You're gonna give kids all sorts of LGBT-colored toys, and then you wonder why they love it when they grow older. Combining prayers during the summer month, like Maghrib and Isha, uh, the fa- the muftis of your country can answer that. We don't have that problem here. I know they have that problem in England and in Scandinavia, where Maghrib is so late. Right, that in order for them to stay up for Aisha, they're sometimes staying up until like 11.45, and they got to work the next morning at 5 a.m., and they got to pray Fajr at like 3 a.m. So I'll leave that for the Muftis of your country to answer that question. Nabil says, Do you think Hasid is social media counts? I definitely think, well, that's a good point. I never understand the, these Instagram superstars that, oh, we're so handsome. My wife is so pretty. Let's make a video. How does this make any sense? You're in igniting, like, at least, if not envy, at least many, many people will start to feel that uh, less than you. And they'll feel bad about it. So I, I just don't understand the logic of people who go around making these videos, him and his wife. Right, making little prank videos and stuff like that, or little cute little videos, look how cute we are, right? I, it's just not something that, I would, I would be very, very upset if my, my own daughter and her son-in-law, or my son and his daughter, his wife did that. I would be like, stop. Because other people don't have what you have. Yes, there may be hasid over the internet, Allahu a'lam. If you wrong someone, says Ali, and they don't forgive you, but you make dua for them, all that you can do is your your own effort, at Toba. Okay, will am uh, not here nine eleven. What's the best place to learn adab? The best place to learn adab is to keep company of learned Muslims, educated Muslims. Keep their company and learn from them. That's the best way. Alright, if you have a class on al Adab Al-Mufrad, we do, but we never finished it. We just started it actually. I don't even know if it's uploaded. We have to see. How do we develop love of Allah? By regular s- sitting down and doing much remembrance, and also reading about His answering of dua, and His promises to answer the dua of a moment couple more questions before we wrap up if one wants to respect his mom, this is ABCDEFG and his dad he wants to respect his dad, but they act like they are always in a wrestling match with him, okay but want the child to lead also want to push him of leading, what to do leading what? the salah or leading the family clarify Nuh says is it permissible to own clothing store that sells clothing for women that's revealing yes it is it depends on your intent right if you're intending it for fisk but if you're intending it for halal usage and it's not your business what they sell it for what they use it for now if it becomes so obvious that you are the source of something like that that's haram who's ringing the doorbell like that Uh, then uh, then you may want to tell you know, ask yourself if you want to be involved in that. However, we do know that um, you're not responsible as long as the item is a halal item. All right. Nimra, lying on the resume regarding work experience, that action is haram, I don't know if it would make the entire income haram, but the action is. Last question, Sayyidina Muhammad Daniel. Are there any reports showing how the Messenger وسلم, used to train physically? I think their entire lives, they didn't really need training because their entire life was a physical struggle. Go get water. Oh, right? Imagine you had to go get water by walking down the block and carrying two gallons of water back. Like everything was physical for them, they didn't have to have physical training their training was sword fighting horseback riding shooting arrows swimming in some cases but they didn't really train the way we imagine training to be like there was no jogging until like i think the 50s there was no concept of jogging even taking walks sultan abdul hamid his father he imitated the british and the europeans the europeans were the first people to do this idea of walking take a walk you know that so he started doing it. Sultan Abdel Majid, taking a walk. It was a scandal. What the heck are you doing? Why are you walking? Where are you going? No, just taking a walk. This was a new thing. There's no such thing as go take a walk. People didn't need physical exercise back in the day. Nana says, I work in healthcare. What's the ruling on treating patients of the opposite gender? You have to it's it's healthcare is a halal job, and if there's something haram... That you're being asked to do, you have to try to avoid that one certain thing. A uh, really cool guy are the Hanafi Fit classes on ArcView for the first level. Yes, they are beginners. All right, let's stop here. Jazakum Allahu Khairan, everybody. Barakallahu fiikum jamiaan. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala accept from us this action. Okay. and inshallah uh, what is your opinion on Lady of Heaven the movie we never got a chance to talk to the, about that but you can see as you see the uh, British Muslims got it I guess it was going to show in one th- specific theater there and they got it shut down by marching and, and raising up a, a storm which I guess is a good thing because they got that movie to be uh, not shown and that movie is insulting the Sahaba it's a Shia movie by uh, uh, a guy who, uh, who who enjoys insulting the Sahab. So they got it shut down. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil I mean, I'm not a, always exa- uh, a, a fan of like yelling and screaming in marches. It's just not my thing. But I'm happy that they did the job and got the movie shut down, right? So that's good. I kind of like yelling and screaming sometimes. Like we don't have a war or anything to be. Yeah, against. like we don't have war. I mean, check this out. I mean, people yell and scream at games all the time. Yeah, and true. nobody says anything. Yeah, like people yell and scream at a player for not kicking a ball right. Like that's weird. I think that's weird. And and but nobody finds that a problem. Or at their TV, they break their TVs. Yeah. I, it's so funny watching the uh, certain playoffs, like NFL playoffs, when a guy misses like a kick to kick, to win the game. The next day, you see all these TVs broken on Twitter. People recording them, breaking their own TVs and stuff like that. But when it comes to actual deen and a Muslim gets upset over a matter of their religion, what's sacred to them, then the reaction is, oh, why are you guys overreacting? Why can't you relax? Well, you guys can't relax on less than that, right? SubhanAllah. No, we're not going to relax. on. Uh, uh, we're not going to relax when you tell us to relax. We'll relax on our own terms. So these guys, they totally went all out and they got the movie canceled, the Shia movie. Jazakumullah khairan everyone. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us people of dua and people of humility and people of istijabah. And we ask Allah ta'ala to make us people of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah and people of khidma to the ummah, people of masajid from today until we meet him upon that state of people of Masajid, far from mudallat al fitan the fitin that lead people astray. We ask Allah for our children, that He makes them love Iman and make it sweet in their hearts, and make them hate kufr and make it bitter in their hearts. We ask Allah Ta'ala to never deprive us of the Dhawq of Dhikr. And for all those whose hearts are closed from the taste of Dhikr, may Allah Ta'ala open the floodgates of the sweetness of His remembrance into their hearts. We ask Allah, if we have ever looked down upon any Muslim, that we seek Your forgiveness. If we have ever belittled any Muslim, we seek Your forgiveness. We ask You not to punish us uh, with what we have belittled them with. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us love the deen and make us always love what is of the dominant opinion of the deen so that we may be safe as the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Wasallam says not coming near the grazing grounds of the king so that we could be safe in our deen and in our reputations in this life and our deens in the Akhirah. wa sallallahu wa ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen